I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. the Apostles' Creed. All Christians everywhere believe more than is contained within the Apostles' Creed, but no Christians anywhere can believe less than what is contained in the Apostles' Creed. We're starting a new series today. Very warm welcome to you. My name is James. I lead the team here in New Community. It's great to see you. We're starting a new series um, based on this word creed, and the word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe, which is the title of this series. And we're going to run the first three lines of this series over these next few weeks, building up to Easter and believing in the virgin birth, and then we'll pick up the rest in the build up to Easter. Now for some of you, creeds, as soon as Charlotte started speaking, very familiar, knew exactly what she was, might have remembered it from, from school, or if you come from different denominational backgrounds, or you're church historian, you might know something of it and very familiar, and for some of you, you are, what on earth is going? on, especially when we say things like, I believe in the Catholic Church. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll explore that in a, in, in a couple of months' time. That's not the Roman Catholic Church, that's the universal church, which we do believe in. And for some of us, you're thinking, hey, well, I'm sure I've been the last few weeks and we normally preach the Bible. Why are we talking about creeds? I'm just going to say, don't, don't panic. Obviously, creeds are not scripture. They don't carry the authority or the weight of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture, the whole Word of God, is breathed out by God, and so therefore all of it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Creeds don't carry the same level of authority or weight, but they do come alongside Scripture with what we might describe as secondary authority to help us become better readers of Scripture and frankly, to help us become better Christians, to grow more in our faith. And that's how we're going to preach this series. We're not preaching the creed, but we are going to use the Apostles' Creed to, to preach the Bible. This is a series, part one now and then part two before Easter. Uh, this is a series on belief and specifically on what we believe. And the obvious um, kind of question is why the creeds? Why particularly the Apostles' Creed? And the answer really is summed up in those first two words, I believe. I believe. See, creeds uh, were written, they were created, they were written to affirm truth. They were written to confront error, to say this is what it is to believe and Anything else? No, no, you don't, we don't believe that. They were written to defend and to define Christianity. 
And there's four big, what we call ecumenical, which is basically believed everywhere by everyone, as in terms of Christians. There are four big ecumenical creeds. Uh, There's the Nicene Creed. Uh, There is the uh, Athanasian Creed. There's the Chalcedonian Creed. We're not going to look at those three, but you might want to go and read them, look them up online. They're just full of truth of what it is to be a Christian. Uh, But the Apostles' Creed is the earliest and the oldest of the creeds. It was thought to be kind of used around the first and second century. And it wasn't written by the Apostles. There's a kind of myth that it was. It wasn't. But it gets its name because it summarizes the teaching of the apostles, those who, first disciples, those who followed Jesus. And you see, being a Christian is not just about believing, although we do. It's about what you believe. And we live in an age, not of unbelief. Some people think we live in an age of unbelief. No, we don't. We live in an age of, frankly, weird belief. Everyone believes. They just believe all sorts of very odd things and that kind of modern mantra if it's true for you then it's true for you and if it's true, well, if it's, true it's true it's not if it's true for you and it's then it's not true for me no no if it's true it's true that is the idea of universal truth and to say there's no such thing as universally universal truth is a universal truth there's no such thing think about it people believe all sorts of stuff even Christians I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Some of you probably have. You get into a small group and you start listening to what some your Christian friend believes and you think, <laughs> what? What? Where'd you get that from? What we believe matters. We're a believing people. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need to be clear about what we believe and then we need to grow in our believing of it. See, the Apostles' Creed was uh, used in early church history as like a baptismal uh, confession. So when people were getting baptized, they would basically just be dunked by saying, I believe in, boom, I believe in God. And they would state this creed as they got baptized. It was also used as a spiritual formation tool. So it'd be like, this this is something short, memorable that you can remember. This is what it is now. Now you've become a Christian. This is what it is that you believe. And the I, I believe, is important because it's not just me. As we state the creed, we are not expressing our opinions or our views or our set of priorities, or our set of beliefs, we're saying, you know, that thing which started right back in the upper room, John 21, that bit when Jesus gathered his disciples, right back in that upper room, what those guys believed, what has been believed by Orthodox Christianity for over 2,000 years, what those guys believe, what those guys believe, what those guys believe, that's what we believe. This is a very modern disease that kind of thinks we know best. That new stuff is good stuff, and old stuff is rubbish stuff. And we kind of get, particularly in, in, dare I say it, in churches like ours perhaps, we get a little bit suspicious of old things, as if somehow tradition is all bad. Now some tradition is not so good, and some old things we shouldn't believe, but there are lots of old things. If you think about it, what we really believe is actually very quite old. (laughs) All new stuff doesn't necessarily mean good stuff. 
There are some old stuff that we cling to, that we build upon. And when we say, I believe, we're, we're joining our voice to a great communal voice that reaches out across the centuries from every tribe and from every tongue. We're placing ourselves into a community that transcends time and place. We're joining, with, uh, we're joining ourselves to a community of faith that stretches across the ages and saying that we believe this too. You see, we're part of a great family that stretches back millennia. We are part of a great uh, cloud of witnesses. We're standing on the shoulders of giants, men and women who, who are now part of that great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. And one day we will be there too in glory, part of the great cloud of witnesses, looking behind at those who come after us and saying, hey, keep going. We believe, you believe, I believe the same stuff too. And what stunning life-changing truth it is that we believe. See, the moment you became a Christian, the very second you became a Christian, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you you came into possession of the faith in its fullness. All of the promises of God, all of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. And so now the moment you put your, your trust in Jesus, you came in to, theologically speaking, you became now in Christ. And so all of the promises of God are coming your way too. 1 Corinthians 13, 21 tells us, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Whoa. Wow. Just think through that for a moment. The moment that you and I, the moment we put our trust in Jesus, it all became ours. Everything we, ha- everything we need for life now has come our way. And we don't progress beyond this knowledge. We just grow deeper into it and deeper into our understanding of it. You see, listen, if you're a Christian here today, you are not a beggar looking for scraps. If you're, let me just say that again. If you're a Christian here today, you are not a beggar looking for scraps. We are like a, a person who has inherited a vast estate. Now, we might not kind of perhaps realize what was coming our way. We might not fully appreciate all that we have inherited. There might be too much of this massive estate to get our heads around. The size, the scale, the amount of the estate, it might just be too kind of big for us to fully comprehend. We might not understand some of the documents legally that come our way that say we're this and this and this and this. And you think, I don't really know what that means. Hey, but that doesn't matter. If you don't only fully understand the size and the scale of the estate that you have, there's castles on it and there's land on it and there's, I mean, it's, it's bigger than Wales. It's ginormous. It's just big. It's got all sorts of buildings on it and it comes with all sorts of legal documents. I don't really know what that means. Do you know what? Whether you understand the size and scale of it, whether you get the documents, whether you understand the legalese or not, what does that change about how much you've inherited? Absolutely nothing. It's still all yours legally whether you realize it or not. And being a Christian is exactly the same thing. Our inheritance remains the same whether we grasp it all or not. But here's the thing. The better we grasp it, the better we understand the size and the scale and the scope of our inheritance, the more we enjoy it and the happier we are. 
growing in your knowledge and your understanding of the gospel and of God and of life and of faith and of the word of God does not change the amount of inheritance that has come your way, but it changes your enjoyment and your understanding of it. Therefore, the happier you get. Paul in uh, Ephesians 3 verse 18 and 19, he prays that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer. That's, that's my prayer that we might increasingly understand the length and the breadth and the depth and the knowledge of the love of God, the vastness of this estate that we have now inherited. And the creed bring us to a place of grasping the enormity of our inheritance. And it all starts with the moment we declare, I believe. See, the Christian story is a story of faith coming to faith, keeping the faith, and finishing with faith. We are a believing people. That is what it is at the heart of being a Christian, is a believing people. But what does it mean to believe? Well, if you think about it, to believe is to accept something as fact, to trust it, and then to act on it. And if you think about it for a moment, everybody does this. We all, when it comes to putting our faith in something or believing something, we all, we all accept it as fact, we trust it, and then we act on it. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, all, we all accept things, we all trust them, and we all act on them. Augustine, in his massive work, uh, Confessions, it's a light read, he, he says, uh, life with, would be impossible without trust. He actually says, without trust, we would be unable to do anything in this life. Think about it for a moment. Without trust, you would be unable to do anything in this life. If you think about all the things that we kind of know, even about the world, they're really things that we believe on the basis of someone else's word. Like if you think about a map for a moment, have you been to every single one of those nations? Do you know they're there? Do you know all the islands in wherever? Are there? Do you actually know? I mean, some of us don't realize there's a world beyond Sid Cup, but we take it on faith that there is. I've never been to half of the places in the world. I've never been to 90-something percent of the places in the world, but I believe they're there. Why? Because I believe somebody said, well, we've, we've seen video footage. Were you there when they filmed it? Like the moon landings didn't happen. You know that, right? <laughs> but we believe that it did because somebody told us and we've seen some footage of it. And we believe it on the base. That's how life works. All of life is like that. We know because we accept testimonies of other people that, who we trust. That's how life works. That's how faith works. That's how belief works in everything. And the biggest question in life is not whether or not I have faith or I trust or not. We all do. It's whether that thing, that person, that idea, that belief, whatever it is, is whether that is trustworthy or not. Can it deliver for me? Will it provide for me? Am I going to find that it's true or that it's wanting? Can it save me? See, that's the most important question we're ever going to ask. What must I do to be saved? Does this thing I believe in, does it, will it come good? Will it save me? Acts 16, very famous story. 
Paul and, and Silas are in prison. In verse 25 of Acts 16, they are praying and singing hymns to God. And suddenly, verse 26, there was a great earthquake and immediately all the doors were opened. And verse 27 says, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. See, this response here reveals the absolute centrality of belief to the Christian faith. But it's not just belief in belief, right? It's not just believing for the sake of everyone believes. And it's not just belief in God in a kind of general sense that to whom it may concern, I address my prayers, there's someone up there out there. No, no, no. Our belief has an object and his name is Jesus Christ. And so to believe in a biblical sense means to accept, to trust and act on the promises of God that find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. It's a very, very similar passage to that Acts 16, Romans 10 verse nine. You've probably quoted it or had it quoted at you. If you've ever listened to my preaching, you've definitely heard it quoted before. Romans 10, nine. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, this is what makes Christianity so different from everything else. This is what makes Christian belief and Christian faith and the Christian life and the Christian experience so different from everything else because Christianity does not start with I do or we do. It starts with I believe. And it's not that we have done, not this belief that I've done something, but rather we believe that someone has. And this, as believers, makes our hearts alive because it's not I do this or we do this or if if I do this then. It's I believe that someone has done something for me on behalf of me, for me that brings things my way. And guess what? We have someone who has done that. And we have a savior who has done that. And in doing it, he has done it all. He has sent his son into the world to die on a cross for my my sins, thereby showing me unfathomable love. God loved me so much that he was willing to suffer the loss of his son on a cross. Jesus loved me so much that he was willing to lay down his life for me. No one could love me more or better than Jesus. And on the third day after Jesus' death, God raised him from the dead, thereby announcing that his death was complete completely sufficient to atone for every sin that I have or I will commit throughout my lifetime. And then God exalted Christ to his own right hand where Jesus Christ now reigns from on high, granting salvation and forgiveness to all who call on him by faith. And so now when my time came, when your time came and I placed my faith in Jesus, when you placed your faith in Jesus, God instantly granted you. He instantly 
granted me a great salvation. He forgave me of all my sins, past and present, and all the future ones too. And he made me his child, and he adopted me into his family. And he gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit, who gives me God's power now, who pours out God's love within my heart, who tenderly communicates to my spirit and to my soul that I am a child of God. I am an heir now of eternal glory. And in saving me, God has also freed me from slavery to any and all sins. I no longer have to sin again for sin's mastery over me has now by a work, the finished work of Jesus, been broken forever. And in saving me, it gets even more incredible. In saving me, God has also justified me. And being justified through Christ, I now have peace with God that will endure through all things forever. And in justifying me, it gets even better. He has declared me innocent and pronounced me, not only innocent, he's now pronounced me righteous with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. And God has also allowed his his future and his present, not forget, his present wrath against me to be completely propitiated, completely taken, completely finished, completely worked out of coming to me all by Jesus who bore it on himself upon the cross. And so now consequently, no matter what I do, no matter what the state of my life, no matter what the state of my circumstances, God now only has love and compassion and deepest affection for me. And this love is without any admixture of wrath whatsoever. God always looks upon me. He always looks upon you and treats me and treats you with gracious favor. He is always, we heard it earlier, working all things together for my ultimate and my eternal goods. This is my salvation. This is your salvation. This is the gospel. And at the heart of our faith, that's my state agent calling me. Perfect timing. (laughs) At the heart of our faith, what it is to believe is to accept all of this as fact. This is the truth. This is the truth. And because we still live in the flesh, and because We still live in a world that is marred by the junk and the mess of sin. Each of us has a battle to continually believe this to be true. Some of us wander. And we wander to all sorts of different places. And some of us wander towards equating belief with emotions. Like if I feel it, then it must be true. Or the flip side of that is I don't feel it, so it can't be true. Some of us sat there right now as I went through all that stuff and go, well, these guys feel it must be true. I don't feel that, it can't really be true. Your feelings have got nothing to do with whether it's true or not. Because if it's true, it's flipping true. Regardless of what you feel. It's true. 
Some of us wander not towards emotions and feelings, but towards intellectual assent. I need to know. I need to, I need to verify every little thing before I can possibly believe that. Hey, listen, it, it's not that Christianity is unintellectual. Far from it. it is, you don't leave your brain at the door as you walk in. You can go and check this stuff out. But it's in the heart that we must believe, not the mind. And this is crucially important because we are primarily driven by our hearts and what we love. We are thinkers. It's not that we don't think. It's not that we don't engage our brains. We are thinkers, but we do what we love. We are driven by our affections, which is why someone can know that something is a stupid thing to do, and yet they do it anyway. We know that's not a good idea, and yet we still find ourselves doing it. Why? It's because we're driven by our hearts, not by our minds. We're, and by our hearts, I mean the center of who we are, the sum of who we are. And so believing starts in the heart, at the very center, the core of who we are. I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and that the gospel is true and that it's trustworthy no matter what. See, the gospel holds out for us the promise of a totally trustworthy God. That, that's, that's the word of scripture, that God is totally trustworthy. And the gospel holds out this promise that the, every part of it is completely and utterly trustworthy and that God is. Can we know it's true? Can we verify that promise? Well, Augustine of Hippo, he says, yes, we can. I love this quote. He says, over time, we learn that God's promise is worthy of our trust. God's trustworthiness is verified by experience. But we don't start with verification. We start with trust. This leads to experience. And experience leads to knowledge of God's trustworthiness. If you can't understand, believe, and then you'll understand. <laughs> That's not check your brain out of the door. Well, just, well, yeah, I believe. No, that, I, don't, I can't see it, but I'm going to believe it anyway. I'm not sure if this battle and this victory is coming, but I'm being faith and I'm believing it anyway. And then the verification comes. Then the understanding comes. You see, Christianity is a very different approach to believing than almost every other philosophy or way of thinking or religion or anything in the world. There are other approaches, of course. There's the kind of, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it approach. I've got to see it to believe it. Empiricism, this is the end sense of, if I see it, then I'll believe it. Which we know is like hocus pocus bunkum anyway, because people say that all the time. If I see a miracle, then I'll believe it. They see a miracle and they still don't believe it. But we can so often fall into that trap. If I see it, then I believe it. I believe the goodness of God as long as good things come my way. There's this idea of kind of romanticism, sort of touched on this already, that I'm not going to believe it unless I feel it. If it feels true, then it's true. If it's conversely, if it doesn't feel true, then it's, well, it's kind of not true. Or there's just the pragmatic approach, functional atheism. If it works, it's true. I'll pray. If the answer is yes, then it's true. If the answer is maybe no, well, it's not true, is it? And we slide towards pragmatism. Listen, the biblical pattern of belief is very, very different. When we say, I believe, we're saying that there are things that are categorically true, no matter what. And I accept them, 
and I believe them and I trust them and they then compel me to action, to actually live it out. I believe these things not because I see them, not because I feel them, not even because they seem like they work, but because God says, and that's okay for me. That's the way into faith. We believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. That's the way into faith. But you know what, brothers and sisters? It's also the ongoing pattern of a life of faith. And this is so very important right now. You're facing a battle or you're just facing Monday mundane. The ongoing pattern of a life of faith looks like this too. Hebrews 11. I'm going to finish with this. We, we love starting with verse 1 of Hebrews 11, don't we? We love stating that. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Oh, what a definition of what faith is. Yep, it's the assurance. I have this assurance of things I don't see. It's the conviction of things unseen. Whoa, yes. But then the rest of Hebrews 11, that kind of details the pathway of what that actually looks like. God says... I'm going to trust what God says. I'm going to act on what God says. And Hebrews 11 literally walks you through what faith looks like. And it doesn't look like if I see it, then I'll believe it. Noah did not start building an ark in the middle of the desert going, well, if I see the rains coming and it looks like it might get to that point, then I'll believe it. No, by faith, Noah acted. Sarah did not say, well, when promised a child in her very late years, didn't go, well, if I feel like it, and I feel like kind of, you know, doing those things with my husband that requires me to do in order to get a baby, then I will go with it. No, she said, by faith, I believe. The same could be said again and again and again. Rahab, by faith, it wasn't a moment of, well, if it works, I'll try it out. Lord, quickly help me. Oh, no, I believe. No, no, no. God says, by faith, I will. By faith, Noah, even though he couldn't see it, built an ark nowhere near the sea. By faith, Abraham obeyed and staked everything on obeying God. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abel. By faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, Jacob and, and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. And look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, by faith those things happen by declaring I believe by saying this is what God says and so therefore I will act by faith these heroes of the faith saw mighty things happen and by faith we can too but the chapter doesn't stop there this is so crucial to get because our by faith so often stops when life gets hard like it's properly easy, by faith, yeah, when everything is going well. It's properly easy to get excited by Hebrews 11, the first part anyway, when things are going well for us in our life. When by faith, every prayer seems to be answered with a yes and amen, brother. 
when by faith, everything that God asks seems to line up with exactly what we feel like doing. Woohoo! Thank you, Lord, you are good. When by faith, everything makes sense to us and God reveals every little step of the way and he goes, I can totally see exactly why that's going to happen, exactly in that order and exactly why that detour is not a detour at all, Lord, because you have mapped it all out perfectly before me. Thank you, by faith. It's dead easy to do all of that stuff by faith. But when life gets hard, each of us has a tendency to slide. And we slide towards, I gotta see it to believe it. Or we slide towards, I gotta feel it and I'm not really feeling it anymore. Or we slide towards, it's just not working for me now. Right now, if life is tough, look at verse 35. Some were tortured. That's a detour and a half. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. By faith, even when it's tough, especially when it's tough, by faith, I believe, I accept, I trust, and I act, nothing's changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Nothing has changed, I believe. And all these, verse 39, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. You and I stand this side. God has provided something better for us. Emmanuel. God with us. I believe even though I don't see it, even though I often don't feel it, even though I sometimes doubt it, I believe. And sometimes, frankly, my prayer is Mark 9, 24. I believe, help my unbelief. Some of us right now are in that moment. I believe, help my unbelief.